0: I have a really sad thing to admit. For the first time in an election cycle, I don't know every candidate in the primary.
1: (laughs) That's okay, because there are almost 250 people who have registered to run for the Democratic primary.
0: How is it that I know more about performance artists slash libertarian candidate Vermin Supreme, and I don't really know anything about Montana Governor Steve Bullock or the spiritual guru, Marianne Williamson.
2: (laughs) Well, I know a lot about Marianne Williamson because my dad is obsessed with her books, but uh, I don't think she'd make a great president.
0: Well, coming up, we've sorted through the energy and climate plans of the leading Dems running for president. We're going to help you sort through the most prominent and the most obscure. First, whatever plan we ultimately get, electrified transportation fleets are going to be a major piece of the solution. And the electric revolution, it can't happen with single drivers alone. That's why fleets are so important. Our supporter, PG&E, is a leader in helping get those fleets electrified. PG&E has the logistical and infrastructure know-how to get large numbers of cars and trucks hooked to the grid. Get in touch with PG&E's EV specialist to find out how you can take your transportation fleets electric. pge.com slash gtm. Support for the Energy Gang also comes from Wonder Capital. By now, you know that Wonder can finance your commercial or community solar projects, and you know they can do it quickly at lightning speeds. But did you know they now have lower rates and can finance all kinds of projects? Head over to wondercapital.com gtm to experience the Wonder difference. From Green Tech Media, this is the Energy Gang. Weekly debates and discussions about the fast-changing world of energy. I'm Stephen Lacey. I'm a contributing editor at GTM, and I am not running for president. This week, we're a couple election cycles late, but we're finally getting a wave of climate plans from presidential candidates. The issue is front and center in the Democratic primaries. We've spent the last few days collecting the plans that are out there, surveying the stances of the rest of the field, and monitoring what the chattering classes and angry youth are saying about it all. With me to walk through it are Catherine Hamilton and Jigger Shaw. Catherine is the chair of 38 North Solutions in Washington, D.C., Catherine, which group are you in? Are you part of the chattering class or the angry youth? I am not running for president.
1: That's all I can tell you.
2: Well, I do have an exploratory commission. <laughs> so, uh, wait, wait, is that an exploratory committee? Committee, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't even know the terminology, so I clearly am not running for president. And that is Jigar Shah. He may not
0: be running for president, but he is the president of Generate Capital. So, this episode is a two-parter. In the first half... We are going to compare and contrast the unique plans that are out there from leading candidates like Elizabeth Warren, Jay Inslee, Beto O'Rourke, and we'll throw Michael Bennett and John Delaney in there as well since they have plans. Then in the second half, what's up with the rest of the field? Most of them are either using the Green New Deal as a fallback or using it as a foil. We'll take account of how that short but influential congressional resolution and the activism behind it is having an impact on the campaign Let's turn to the top folks with actual plans first. Catherine, what are we seeing for proposals in this category of candidates? What's the range?
1: Yeah, the ranges. I really care about climate, and I want to do some things um, to create jobs and get back in Paris. To very, very detailed. I know every single program at the Department of Energy, and I've implemented those elsewhere. And here's how you do it. So there is a wide range. There are certain certainly some commonalities in that. All of them pretty much wanna get back into Paris, all of them wanna create jobs, most of them wanna help rural communities, agriculture. So there are some commonalities, but the the variety of detail is is pretty great.
0: Right. So they very in detail dramatically. Jay Inslee has a couple plans out already. They're extremely detailed. They recap the decade and a half of work he's been doing on climate change. Elizabeth Warren is on the other end. She has a couple piecemeal plans. And then the others, like Michael Bennett, John Delaney, and Beto O'Rourke fall somewhere in the middle. So can you just quickly recap kind of where things stand with these plans?
1: Yeah, sure. So Inslee's is definitely the most detailed. And it reflects that he's been working on this issue for decades. And he's been implementing a lot of programs Um, you know, certainly when he was in Congress, he worked on that on the federal side. And then as governor of the state of Washington, he has been implementing a lot of these programs. So he knows what works. And so he's come up with something that's very, very detailed that addresses every single sector in, you know, in very programmatic ways. Um, Beto O'Rourke's is a bit more um, aspirational in it's just that it's not super detailed, but he does um, focus on infrastructure. He focuses on getting rid of money going to fossil fuel and on rural utility service. A lot of these plans look at rural, the rural infrastructure as something that's really important to pay attention to. Bennett, who is a senator from Colorado and is really good at working across the aisle, he's a very smart guy. Is um, you know he's he's easy to work with, and he's come up with a plan that's 100%. Net zero emissions by 2050. Also, he looks at um, in a an ARPA Terra program, which it, and there's one that's not dissimilar in Inslee's plan called ARPA Ag, which looks at how do we do kind of what ARPA E does for energy, but on the agriculture sector, which is really important. We haven't addressed that sector much. Bennett also, um, proposes a climate bank, um, and some of the other ones do as well. And Bennett also proposes money going to NIH, the National Institutes for Health, which is really interesting because that's looking at a lot of the health impacts of climate and then Delaney's is really the most different one out there that's been proposed. And I'd love to kind of hear Jigger's take on it. He he proposes that everything is paid for by a fee and dividend. And he looks at direct air capture and negative emissions technology as a big piece of it. Of course, he wants to increase R&D, have challenge grants, a climate core, uh, which I think is another piece of other plans, which is like really... Putting jobs as a as an as a big part of this. And then he has this really interesting concept called a carbon throughway. Which is this huge twenty billion dollar infrastructure project that would be s- transporting captured carbon to sites for sequestration and reuse? It's like a transmission grid except for carbon. So that's kind of the most different thing I've seen out there. But um, Warren hasn't really come out. You know, she's written a lot about it and spoken a lot about it, but it's not her plan. Isn't written out in a way that tackles sector by sector, you know, principle by principle.
0: So points to Delaney for a fairly creative plan, one that our listeners may not agree with because it puts more of an emphasis on R&D and CCS. But I like that he's thinking on his own here and also points to Inslee for an incredibly detailed plan, which we discussed on the interchange earlier this week. So we'll go into that in more detail on that other show. I want to talk about these plans
2: specifically, but I'm curious, Jigger, like how do you categorize them in your head. So I guess I'm starting from a slightly different place, which is that I think that the comment that people make around returning to Paris is basically the equivalent of, I now believe that climate change is real. And so I don't really like give a lot of credence to people who say, we got to return back to the Paris Agreement and you know, reinstitute the clean power plan, right? And so I think that- Amen, it's so lazy. Yeah. So I think that we should just start there. I think the second layer for me is the fossil fuel free pledge. Like, I think it matters that someone says and is thoughtful about who's funding their campaign, right? I don't know that it has to be an anti-fossil fuel employee, you know? Like, A piece. I mean, fossil fuel employees should be able to donate to your campaign, particularly ones who are donating small dollar numbers. But I do think it matters that, like you know, Beta O'Rourke for a long time had been plagued by the fact that he got a lot of money from Texas energy firms, which makes sense. But ultimately, like he's now signed on to the fossil fuel free pledge, which I think matters. Um, So I think that's the other thing I see. And then I would say that I think that Jay Inslee has so much history and experience in this area that I think what he's done is put together a comprehensive plan that now other candidates are going to say that they are actually better at implementing them than he is. And so I don't know that like Amy Klobuchar or some of the other candidates are actually going to try now. I think they're just going to say, yeah, whatever Inslee put in his plan, I'm for that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting point. I tend to agree with that. But I also think Congress now the House of Representatives and their select committee on the climate crisis, you know, they're looking at trying to propose a lot of things to mitigate climate change. And I think they could draw from it, too. So I think it is immediately something that you could look to having ideas that could be pulled out for um, legislation that could be proposed right now. Who is
0: taking the no fossil fuel Pledge among these major candidates with plans. Do we do we know? I have not run that tally, so I'm not exactly sure.
1: Yes. So there are 14 candidates that have taken the no fossil fuel pledge, and there are 11 candidates that are able to access this green fundraising platform, which is pretty interesting. It's a give green platform that has been it's vetted based on what your public statements and views are on on uh, climate change issues. But I'm
0: surprised, Jigger. That you're so supportive of this because what if a major utility that's doing both a lot of renewable energy and still is a major investor in fossil fuels, which most utilities are, wants to support a candidate? There are major utilities on that list of fossil fuel donors That theoretically are also progressive on renewables. There are plenty of oil companies that are making major investments in renewables and distributed energy, albeit a fraction, (laughs) a, a small, tiny fraction of what they invest in fossil fuels, but that are legitimately putting their efforts behind the new energy businesses that could potentially support the platforms of these candidates. I, I don't know. I just don't necessarily think it's, a cut, it's very cut and dry.
2: Right. But why do you think that these people have official money? Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, if you have an employee at BP who is giving 25 bucks to the candidate that they want to give to, that's not banned. It's basically saying that if BP creates a pack and that pack has 50 million bucks in it, and they say, here's like, we're maxing out to you on every one of our executives and all the other pieces. That comes with strings attached. And that matters. And I think for candidates who don't understand that that comes with strings attached, like are basically saying that they're not serious about defeating climate change.
1: Also, they're not, those companies are not going to just give to the Democratic Party. They're going to hedge because they want to influence everybody.
2: Right. And so I just like I don't see how this plays out well in the climate movement. I mean, we are already completely uphill. Right. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. Right. The ability for us to actually even achieve the basics that people say we need to achieve around have you know cutting our carbon emissions in half within twelve years is a near impossible task. I think it's possible technically, but it's near impossible politically. And so for us to say, well, it's okay for these companies to influence the debate, because. They're traditionally very loud voices, and we kind of need to co-opt their voice to pass wax with Markey. We tried that in 2009. It didn't work. I'm tired of people who want to do the same thing again and again and try to get different results. Let me steer this back toward the plans. Jigger. what's your favorite
0: plan out of the ones
2: that we outlined? Well, I'm obviously in love with Inslee's plan. But I think that the interesting piece about Delaney's plan, which I thought was something that we should pay attention to is that he starts the carbon price really low and then ratchets it up. I think the reason Inslee didn't put a carbon tax in his plan is because he lost twice on a carbon plan. And it's Inslee's point of view now that um, there's just no way that a carbon tax passes. Like There's just no way Republicans and even moderate Democrats pass something that overtly is trying to put fossil fuel companies out of business so that a sectoral policy is better
1: yeah, but Jigger, I just wonder, because this is only part two of his plan, and there may be some other parts coming. I wonder if some of the other parts are going to deal with, you know, fossil fuel subsidies and carbon tax to pay for all these programs that he has um, recommended.
0: I would imagine so,
1: yeah, so I don't I wouldn't take it off the table for him. Uh, you you may be totally right, but I, it may be yet to come.
0: What I found interesting was Elizabeth Warren's plan. You know, she's considered one of the most progressive candidates. And instead of coming up with some comprehensive climate plan, she started with this Medium post about how she was going to build a 10-year multi-billion dollar research program for energy R&D through the military, and then spend billions of dollars on climate resilience for military bases and um, making them 100% renewable. I found that quite curious because it doesn't seem like that would speak to her base. What is she trying to do by focusing exclusively on the military?
1: Well, you know what? I'm surprised by that, Stephen, is that she talks a lot about social justice and systemic inequality that's built into our system. And a key piece of that connects directly to climate, where fossil fuel plants are located, who's been able to benefit from clean energy, the the way our system is structured now. And so it surprises me that she hasn't yet connected the dots to make this part of her social justice platform, because it it should be inextricably linked to that. It's great that she's talking about Department of Defense and the fact that climate change is a threat multiplier and that we do have to tackle that. But it seems like she has a lot more dots to connect. And I hope that she does that in the coming months.
2: Well, and that's the whole point of the Green New Deal, is to connect all those dots. And so like, it's not like she hasn't been paying attention to the Green New Deal. I Look, I'm happy to give her a pass right now because she's putting out so much policy that it's, I'm happy to say that it's probably part of her policy paper funnel, And it just hasn't gotten through the QA, QC process. Um, And so it's probably coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, Elizabeth Warren is the leading candidate in terms of policy proposals on every major issue. She is out there ahead of everyone developing fairly detailed proposals. I give her a pass as well, but I will be interested to see how she links her detailed plans on the military and banning fossil fuel extraction on public lands with her Supposed support for the Green New Deal. Um, it would be nice to see some more detail on how she would flesh out
2: an economy-wide transition. The one, the one thing I noticed about all the plans when reading them is that, like Inslee's plan in particular, does not favor or put forward the electric utility industry which i thought was fascinating like there's literally no role for them to play it's silent on it now they could probably be an actor in in the in the implementation but he doesn't specifically call on them to be the engine by which it occurs yeah um, but i
1: also so i took that to be because his approach is that he knows how the federal sector is structured and what programs are out there, which programs he could work with. And the utility sector is so state regulated that it it didn't seem like that's what he, he wasn't taking an approach that I'm going to go and impact state policy. It was much more about using tools that the federal government already has or that could be increased through additional support from Congress, but not really trying to break up any kind of regulatory construct that exists outside of the federal sector.
2: That's totally fair. But Michael Bennett, for instance, creates a Climate X option to require power providers to offer zero emission energy to every household and business and provide more opportunities for Americans to choose clean vehicles and other technologies. So in that way, he's sort of putting utilities forward, um, which was the only place I saw a reference to the utilities in anybody's plan.
0: What what the heck does that even mean? I, I kind of understand. I mean, I understand. It sounds like he wants all utilities to offer some kind of green tariff program.
2: Yeah, it but, sounds like a throwback to two thousand and five. Is what it right. sounds like it means. But I get it. But it's but the fact that like I mean like I to me I'm the words on this page don't matter all that much to me because ultimately you know, like this is a sausage making process and we'll see how the sausage is made. What I care more about is sort of what they include, what they don't include, how they say it. Like Catherine was saying, I mean, the fact that Inslee clearly has read, you know, like all 10,000 programs in the federal government and has figured out how each one could play a positive role in climate change, right? That's a really interesting insight, right? And I think the fact that Bennett mentions power providers means that he's probably talked to Excel Energy about it and he probably put it in
0: can we talk about tone for a second? This may sound like a superficial criticism, but I think it matters. So Beto O'Rourke's proposal before Inslee's came out was definitely the most detailed of any candidate. But on the website, it's really dark. I mean, it starts off with many, many paragraphs of how dire the climate crisis is, which is true, but could be a turnoff for a lot of voters. And it's on this black background. It just felt so dark and dismal to me. And then Inslee's plan comes out and it's all about harnessing the talent of the American workers. How are we going to transition the economy? There's very little in there that's dismal and it's all mostly hopeful. And just personally, that's what speaks to me. I wonder if you all had any comments on the difference in tone and whether that matters for voters?
1: I mean, I think they have very different personalities. And sometimes that is reflected in the way these are written. Although, honestly, they're not sitting down writing them themselves, probably. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) But they,
0: they have big teams putting these together.
1: Yeah. And I think they're reflective of their personalities. And Inslee um, is like a technocrat more. Um, and, and he really, you can tell that he internalizes all of what he does on climb and he's done that for a really long time. Um, and I think Beto is much more, you know, dramatic in his presentation and just, you know, he wants to grab your attention and kind of, um, you know, t- try to get your attention that way. And so I, I'm not surprised at their tone because there are different types of candidates.
2: Well, Beto, look, I'm bottom line is he screwed up. How did he screw up? There has never been in the history of time a president that got elected by basically like saying that things are going to be bad and you're just going to all die, right? That's not how you win the presidency. And it certainly wasn't how he ran for Senate. So whatever happened, there was some advisor that said, this is the way we're going to do it. And you know, someone screwed up in that campaign. Like the, this cannot be the way in which you talk about climate change.
0: Right. Well, I guess that's my my question is, did he screw up? So does it really matter at this stage in the primaries? It, it, that's That kind of language will certainly speak to a lot of the younger climate activists who are within or revolving around the Sunrise Movement. That's how they couch the issue. This is a crisis. We have 12 years. Um, it is like, cut and printed from a lot of the materials and statements that they make.
2: Well, then why did the Sunrise Movement come out against Beto's plan? I mean, look, I, I as far as I'm concerned, I think that Beto flubbed this one. And I think that he should do it, do it over, right? I mean, I think ultimately, he's got a lot of time, we have a lot of, you know, like sort of months ahead of us, and he should change it to a more positive image. I mean, I, I really do think this is about You know, America finding its way back to leadership globally.
0: Well, the good news is if he did decide to do it over, he's got lots of good policy proposals. It would just be a change in framing, not necessarily the policy ideas.
1: Yeah, and I would guarantee you that everybody out there is not going through their websites the way we did exactly. and reading line by line. Um, I think the true test will be if they have a debate in, that covers climate change, that is focused on climate change, we will see then how they each frame how they approach it and how they see a solution and whether they see it as an opportunity, a threat, some combination.
0: We can't close this conversation without talking about the Plan or the non-plan from Joe Biden, who is currently the front runner in the polls, he or his team teased a middle ground plan to the Associated Press a couple of weeks ago. It got totally slammed on social media. The plan was uh, designed to appeal to both environmentalists and blue collar voters who elected Donald Trump. Everyone was trying to figure out what that it would actually mean. Any thoughts on the reaction to that? the biden campaign came back and said no 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 we're we're going to we're going to address this in a way that truly meets the the size of the crisis but um i'm wondering if you have any thoughts on what his team meant by that
1: yeah so just a little bit of context um joe biden did introduce the first climate change bill in the senate in 1986 the global climate protection act that reagan ronald reagan signed into law so he has long fought for climate change and, um, and he's a big labor guy. So, you know, there are a lot of different views um, from the labor community on the Green New Deal, a lot negative. And I think he's trying to, trying to figure out how do I bridge that? Because I do have support from labor. And so how do I come up with something that allows for uh, labor and the environmental piece to all be connected? Now, the proof will be in what he proposes, because it may may not be something that is exactly what we would like to see. But I think that is his strength: is that he has he can get those communities in Pennsylvania that potentially that Trump lost and and present them with a vision of how they can be uh, better off um, in you know
2: with these clean energy solutions. So I mean, I would push back and simply say that like. I think that the whole wing of the Democratic Party that includes Bill Clinton and Hillary and now Joe Biden is completely out of touch. Like the people who I grew up with in my hometown in Illinois did not vote for Trump because they love him and they didn't vote for him because they're racist. They voted for him because after 40 years of Reaganomics, nothing has worked. Right. Every president since Reagan has basically gutted the Midwest, has deliberately sent manufacturing jobs to China to be able to avoid EPA regulation and has like basically done nothing to help them avoid gig economy jobs. And so they said, I might as well blow up the whole system with Donald Trump, because clearly voting for the same thing over and over again hasn't resulted in a better life for me or my family. And so, if Joe Biden thinks he's going to go back and use Bill Clinton and Obama like bullshit, then win the presidency, that is not going to happen.
1: Okay. Right. Like, so, well, so, Jigger, I agree with you in that I don't think we can go backwards. However, I would like to just put a marker on the Obama presidency as having done a huge amount because they did everything they could. And they passed ninety billion dollars, which was then like trillions back during the stimulus bill. Um, they had to make a decision as to how, to, which thing they had to slam through re- budget reconciliation, and they chose healthcare, which I would say was probably at that time the more important option. And so. They did that, but the ninety billion dollar stimulus bill, which would have been even more if Obama hadn't thought that somehow he could work with the Republicans. Um, and instead they had to try to get through it however they could. But he did the Clean Power Plan, the Mercury rules, the methane rules. You know, they did everything that the Paris well, look, Climate we, look, Accord would not hashed, have happened without
2: us. We've we've done, we've gone through this crap. My point to you is that if the next president comes in with the same track record that Obama has going out, that will be a total disappointment.
1: I think we need new ideas. I agree with that. I just want to say that we it wasn't like we slid back during Obama. We did move forward. We have to. That has to be our the end point of that needs to be our starting point, though. Though that has to be like that's where we start, and then we move forward from that. So I don't. And so I agree. We do not want backsliding. We don't want people to start where Obama started, but try to put back what when he. What Trump has taken down since Obama ended, I think, is a good place to start. Coming up,
0: we're going to talk about how the Green New Deal is influencing all the other candidates. First, though, if you're a company in Northern California and you're in PG&E service territory and you're thinking about beginning to electrify your fleet, you should reach out to PG&E because they have limited time incentives right now as part of their new EV fleet program. They can help you with electrifying school buses, transit buses, delivery vehicles, or any kind of fleet vehicles. And they provide substantial financial, logistical, and construction support for all the infrastructure that you would need to charge your fleets. Get in touch with one of PG&E's EV specialists to learn more and take your fleets electric. Go to pge.com forward slash GTM. And if you're looking to pair that EV charging with some solar, Wonder Capital can help, too. They are doing all kinds of solar projects. Community solar in New York, solar and storage in Hawaii, uh, smart programs in Massachusetts, CCA projects in California. There is no such thing as a straightforward vanilla commercial-scale solar project. Every project is different, your needs are different, and if you go over to wondercapital.com slash GTM, you're going to work with folks who will understand your unique project for what it truly is. Well, let's take the uh, last part of the show to talk about how the rest of the field is grappling with this issue, and it's actually pretty easy to compare them all because the Green New Deal offers the through line. Most of the candidates are either positioning themselves for or against the Green New Deal, and it helps us understand their governing and policymaking style. So even if they don't have a plan, the Green New Deal is forcing them to talk about the issue in some way. So, Catherine, who is for it?
1: So the way I count, and some people say different things at different times, I think 14 of them have been supportive of the Green New Deal. Um, Bernie Sanders, of course, Julian Castro... Uh, Christian Gillibrand, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Warren, uh, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Mike Gravel, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Seth Moulton, Eric Swalwell. I don't You know, de Blasio came out with the New York Green New Deal, New York City Green New Deal. So maybe he is. Um. I think those are all the ones that have come out in support of the Green New Deal. So the, the the people who haven't overtly said yes would be Biden has not said yes yet. Bullock from Montana, Delaney from Maryland. He says it's unrealistic. Hickenlooper from Colorado, while he wants to get back in Paris, hates the Green New Deal. Um Mesum from Florida has refused to take fossil fuel funds, but he doesn't. He's the mayor of Miramar, Florida, but he hasn't said whether he would support the Green New Deal. Um, Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii originally endorsed it and then said it was too vague. Um, uh, Ryan from Ohio is a natural gas guy, and I'm not sure how Marion Williamson stands on it. She has said there's no fossil fuel, but I don't know about um, the Green New Deal. So <laughs> I haven't followed her as closely.
0: So that's a very helpful breakdown. Let's go in a little bit more detail here. So the people who are supporting it, are they supporting it because they truly believe in it or they're too lazy to develop a climate plan? What do you think the range is?
1: Well, you look at the polls, 82% of the people... Um, who are Democratic or lean Democratic Are think that climate is very important, and then 14% more say it's somewhat important. Two recent polls in Iowa says that climate is one of the top issues. I mean, this is political. So the whole thing right now is, you know, whether or not you have a detailed plan, you sure as heck better say that you believe that climate change is real and that we have to do something about it. And The Green New Deal is a really good way to show that you care. What about
0: these other candidates who say no, I don't like it, or it's it's unrealistic. Are they coming up with alternative plans, or are they just just stopping there?
2: No, I think I don't. I don't think that people are going to come up with alternative plans. I think now that Inslee's put out his plan, my sense is is that the vast majority of Green New Deal advocates are going to make that his plan, the Green New Deal plan. I don't know why they would do extra work. You know, they're going to. Right, add, but what
0: about the people who don't support it?
2: Well, they're going to they're going to have to explain exactly why they don't support it, right? Why don't they think that people should have a guaranteed job? Or why don't they think people should, you know, like mandate uh, electric vehicles only by 2030? Or why don't people think that all new buildings should be net zero energy, right? They should come up with their plan around why they think that this particular item within this plan is something I don't think is realistic.
1: Yeah. And honestly, of all those people who haven't signed on to it yet, only Biden is one that even has a realistic chance of getting through the process, in my opinion. Um, one thing I'm hoping is that as candidates are setting out their sort of lane for how they run in within the Democratic primary, that for example, Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, she's all about families. And if she could work that into how do we help families in the context of climate change as part of her climate change platform? I think that would be really helpful, and that would get her to talk still about her main issue that sets her apart, but then fit climate change into it. The same with Julian Castro, who talks about immigration a lot, immigration policy. You know, He could talk about you know, immigration policy is directly linked to climate change. And, you know, I think each of them, even in the lane that they've carved out that they want to run in, they could address climate change within that context. And I think that would be helpful to them politically, because it is such a big issue with voters.
0: How is all this going to play into the general election, the Green New Deal stuff? It is extremely influential in primary politics. But uh, as the race matures, will the Green New Deal activists have the same level of influence when we get toward the general election as they do now?
1: Well, I think when you get into the general election, um, the language that's being used about climate change is just completely different. So for example, uh, Department of Energy is now taking the tack of calling fossil fuels freedom gas. I mean, These are molecules of freedom, they call them, that everything about fossil fuels is good to them. They do not want to talk about climate change. It's a hoax. So that's how Trump's going to be. And whoever's running against him needs to understand that, like, getting into a match about, you know, whether or not you believe in something is not smart. Instead, you have to come up with, here are the policies that that are going to help the country economically, help those who've not been helped. Try to shrink the economic gap between all parts of our society and benefit everybody. I mean, it's just, it's going to be so stark, the difference in the general election.
0: Okay, so we've got all these plans. However, this shakes out, if we get a Democratic president, they're going to put climate front and center. And we've got a lot of interesting policy proposals to pick and choose from. What are the limitations and realities that that hypothetical president would then face in putting this stuff in practice?
1: Yeah, so I mean, first of all, all of the plans have pieces that the president can't just do on his or her own. They have to have Congress as a partner and as a willing partner, whether it's appropriating funds, authorizing new programs, and whatever the issue is, pretty much except for Paris, everything else has got to have be working with Congress. And you look at Congress, and the House is probably going to remain Democratic, but what if the Senate remains Republican? Do you think they're going to let a big climate bill go through? I mean, this is going to be extremely difficult uh, to get through for for a Democratic president, and so it just it seems that you know we need to we need to understand that this is an issue that doesn't stop after the election um, if the Senate does not flip. All right, let's
0: wrap up with some free elections. I mean, I mean, free electrons. <laughs> um, Jigger, what's
2: yours? So, Wood Mackenzie just came out with a graph that uh, shows that the U.S. power sector is quickly approaching the clean power plan goals uh, a decade ahead of schedule. So, as coal retirements are accelerating, so I think we called that here on the Energy Gang podcast. But I just want to. You know, I just want to say that uh, you know we are decarbonizing the power sector on schedule.
0: Always good to have some data to back up our punditry. Catherine, what is your free electron?
1: Yeah, there are two reports that just came out that I noticed. Um, one will drive jigger to distraction because it's the American Green Bank Consortium and Coalition for Green Capital, and it's kind of like what is the state at green banks, and you know how have they been doing in 2018, and so the cumulative green bank impact through December of 2018 was 3.67 billion dollars of investment, and the ratio of private to public investment is 3.4 to one. So the the trend has been that the cumulative investment has gone up the investment by year since 2016 has gone down a bit and then remained remain stagnant stagnant but it's a good report just to look at where they are on the green banks and then the other report is called beneficial electrification and this is fascinating to me because i'm always looking at what the rural co-ops are doing so this is by the environmental and energy study institute and they look at how do rural co-ops, which are structured really differently from investor-owned utilities? So co-ops are required to have all of their members vote on, you know how they proceed with any new technology. Everybody has to benefit. And so they're looking at how does switching from fossil fuel end use equipment in these co-ops to electric equipment, reduce emissions and provide benefits for the environment and all the members of the co-ops. So I love this report. I thought it was really interesting. And I think it's a way to engage rural communities in a way that's very healthy.
0: Y'all got some reading to do. And I've got some more listening homework for you as well. Catherine has has uh, mentioned a couple podcasts on the show recently, and I teased that I was going to have a podcast release coming up, and we just dropped a trailer for a new show that I have been working on with the folks over at Tendril called Illuminators. And for the last four months or so, I've been working very closely with Brad Langley and Devren Hobbs over there to develop a show about the history of change in business and how companies have dealt with it or failed to deal with it, and then how we can apply those lessons to the energy industry. So we're looking at sectors like retail, airlines. We're looking at the history of corporate innovation through the eyes of Thomas Edison. Um, We've got a ton of great stories, and we've had a lot of fun with this show. So the trailer is out, and we're going to be dropping episodes next week so look out for that the show is called illuminators we've been working hard on it
1: nice that sounds great i can't wait to hear i love it
0: and of course we will continue to always and forever bring you great content here on the energy gang you can find us on social media let us know what you think about the show we tried our best to sift through these climate plans there's a lot more detail than we could cover so if you think we got something right or wrong let us know on social media and we do love to hear your comments as always give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and find us anywhere you get your podcasts so after this episode Catherine are you thinking any differently about whether you're going to run for president or not?
1: No I've just doubled down on not running
0: (laughs) Jigger's not going to run for president anymore he's going to go for the
2: Senate that's right that's right
0: I, for one, am just sticking to podcasting. <laughs> With Catherine Hamilton and Jigger Shaw, I am Stephen Lacey. This is the Energy Gang, a production of Green Tech Media and Postscript Audio. We will catch you next week, folks.